about the idea of being yoked together. Let me start off and just sort of set the tone for the lesson. Are there people, and I'm sure there are, people in your life that you really feel, as we say, a connection to? That may be because you have, over the course of time, gotten really close to these people. It probably is because you've shared a number of experiences, things that you've gone through together, as we say. It likely is that you are in a relationship with this person, and it can be anything from marriage to friends to parent and child or whatever it is. It probably is if you are close to the individual. It's because there are a number of things you have, as we say, in common. Um, The idea of something in common, we don't use the term for that, but it is fellowship. We share the same interests, that kind of thing. You feel tied together to people. And there are certain people you have such a, as we say, close connection to that you are just tied together inseparably. And you know that for the rest of your life, obviously, you will be connected or, the biblical term, yoked together with that person. Now, with that in mind, and again, just setting the tone for the lesson, let's talk about this idea Things a little slow warming up, but there we go. Jesus said, and Donnell just read for us, if you're open to Matthew 11, if not, let's turn back there and look at it for a little bit. Jesus said in verse 29, take my yoke upon you. You remember, may remember a couple of years ago, I talked about the idea of Matthew 11 and talked about this idea of the yoke of Jesus. Let me Uh, use part of that that we were looking at that day and take a look at this idea of the yoke of Jesus. Take my yoke upon you. Well, the question would naturally be, what is a yoke? Now, if you're from a rural community like Wes and I are, chances are you know the idea of plowing fields and all of that. That's something that's very familiar to you. But even in my day and certainly Wes's, Fields are not plowed by oxen or mules as they once were not that long ago. The idea of a yoke was something where a couple of animals pulled a plow and they were yoked, as it were, or tied together. If you've ever gone into an antique shop or whatever, you might have seen a yoke. But a yoke was used in Jesus' day. It had become a term, a, a, a figurative term. And it was taken, obviously, from this idea of two oxen who were literally yoked, this big, heavy wooden frame over their shoulders, tying the two of them together, so they worked in unison. But the figure was taken to signify laboring for or being in the service of someone. Think again about two oxen, if you tie them together, and they're pulling a plow, and they're working for the farmer. So it was the idea of being in service to someone. But it was also the idea of being in subjection to someone. If you had two oxen pulling your plow and you were standing behind that plow, you were in control and the oxen had to submit to you or else fight the yoke and that would be painful. And so they wouldn't want to do that. They submitted. Well, the rabbis or the teachers of the day used that term and that idea for school and for the discipline that was being taught in the school, and if someone submitted to that discipline. Let me give you a very quick biblical usage of it. 
If you were to go to Matthew 19, you may remember they came to Jesus and they asked the question about who could divorce and remarry. And some were saying that you could divorce for every reason. That was one school of thought. In fact, the Rabbi Hillel in that day taught divorce for every reason. But there was another school of thought that people submitted to. And that was the school of Shammai. And Shammai said, no divorce for any reason. Now that's the idea here. The rabbis used the yoke for the school. And taking the yoke, that is willingly putting the yoke around your shoulders, taking the yoke meant that you were submitting to the teacher of the ma- uh, or to the teaching of the master. And so you were submitting to that teacher. So Jesus is using it. Notice verse 29. Take my yoke, my discipline, my teaching. Take that upon you and learn of me. Submit to me and become my disciple. Follow what I teach. Submit to what I teach. Walk in the steps that I direct you to walk in. That's the idea. And so it's a willing submission to a teaching or a discipline which becomes a way of life. And so one becomes a disciple of that teacher following that teaching. Now, what does that mean practically? Well, for some reason, I may have this problem again, Edward, so I may have to back out. So let's see. Um, Anyway, what does that mean practically? Well, that means do as Jesus did. Philippians chapter 2, we've read this recently. Have this mind in you, this mindset, this attitude. It means to follow his example. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Follow me, but as I have followed Christ. Um, John 13 and verse 15, Jesus washed his disciples' feet and said, Do as I have done unto you. That's practically what it means. What would Jesus do is a popular phrase today. When you know what he would do, he's the teacher. Submit to that. Do as, as he did. Walk as he walked, John would say in 1 John 2. Or Peter would put it like this, follow in his steps, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It means learn from me. And that's what Jesus is saying. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek, or gentle, and lowly in heart. Wear my yoke, submit to me as a disciple, etc. That's what it means to be yoked together with Jesus. Alright, so let's just back out of this. Let's see if we can get it here. Escape. There we go. And I'm gonna and should, let's see. We're gonna try to do this, and if not, I'm gonna call the teacher up here and, and let him do it. So let's try it. Alright. Please. Ah, there we go. That's a beautiful thing. Okay. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I want you to look at that phrase for a moment. I can remember way back when I first started preaching, and I would use this passage, and others would use this passage, and I would always think in the back of my mind, perhaps like you're thinking in the back of your mind, if you were pulling a plow and had a big wooden, if you've ever seen one of those yokes, that's not easy. And if you're thinking of submitting as a disciple of Christ and really you know, following everything that the Bible tells you and teaches you and doing everything you know you're supposed to be doing, you're probably thinking like I once thought, and that's not easy. I mean, let's just be honest about it. You know, Jesus, I know you said my yoke is easy, but 
really and truthfully to follow every teaching of Christ and walk in His steps is not easy. Well, if you've read what I've got up here, when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, the word for easy is perhaps not the best of translations in our day. Because it's a term meaning more than just easy in the sense of, you know, kind of falling off a log is easy. It's a term that means something that's useful or helpful or even a word that's sometimes translated kind or good. Now think about it like this. You make choices in life. You choose to go a certain direction. You choose to do certain things in life. Maybe sometimes you choose to do something because it's easier, as we would use the word, than doing it God's way. Oh, but the consequences, they're not easy. And the Bible tells you the way of the transgressor is what? Hard. And sometimes you have to be the person that chooses the sin, transgresses the law of God, realizes the consequences and how hard they are before you understand what Jesus meant by my yoke is easy. Because comparatively, if I'm looking at doing the right thing and what that means for my life, how useful, how helpful, how even kind or good that is to my life, as opposed to choosing the wrong thing, submitting to the wrong teaching, following the wrong steps, then I really understand what Jesus meant by my yoke is easy. And there are several people in this room, a number of people, most of us that are older, can attest to the fact that, yeah, choosing the wrong way is hard. And you live with it. I was talking to someone just the other day, and I was telling my wife and daughter about this, and I was talking to someone just the other day who asked me, called me and asked me a question just like this. Michael, are you ever haunted by things you did when you were young? That was ironic, because if you remember last Sunday morning, we're talking about just that at the end of service before we pray. But my answer is yes, I am. It doesn't matter that 40 years ago now, February was 40 years ago that I was baptized and some of those things were washed away. I'm still haunted by it. T.J. preached an excellent lesson about the effects of sin. Haunted by what you've done. My yoke is easy, Jesus said. Choose my way. And you know, life never gets easier until you do. If you choose to go the wrong way, if you choose the wrong yoke, if you submit to the wrong teaching, influence, etc., etc., it is going to be a hard life. And it's going to stay hard until you choose the yoke of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying. My burden, and it is a burden. You understand he's using that terminology. He's not telling you that it's not a burden. Sometimes we read this and we say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, as though being a Christian is just the easiest thing in the world. It's not. It is a burden to be a Christian. It is a burden you carry, but it is a burden, comparatively speaking, that is so much more helpful and useful and kind and good to your life than doing the wrong thing. And that's what the Lord is saying. My yoke is easy compared to the way of the transgressor. Now let's continue with that thought and talk about being yoked together. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 6. One I think of one of the most misunderstood passages, and I'm not really sure why. I I guess I, I do understand the use of 2 Corinthians 6, 
Because a lot of people will turn to 2 Corinthians 6 immediately and begin to talk about marriage, though marriage is not in the context. I mean, you don't see the word anywhere here. That's not what Paul is discussing. And the idea of being yoked together, people will say, well, you know, two people yoked together like two oxen, well, that'd be like marriage. Well, I get that. And I'm not saying there are no principles here that apply, but it's not what Paul is talking about. No, if we think that, take that idea of the yoke that we were just looking at in Matthew 11, and then go over to 2 Corinthians 6, and now let's read that passage with that idea in mind, and with what I started with, the idea of being connected and a close tie and all of that with someone. So let's read it, verse 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion, which is another cognate of fellowship is the idea. What communion has light with darkness? What do they share is the idea. And what concord? Again, another cognate of fellowship, sharing, in agreement. What concord has Christ with Belial? In other words, Jesus Christ and the worst kind of idolatry. What concord? What agreement is there? Or what part? You know, the idea of partners, of sharing something like that. What part has he that believes with an unbeliever, an infidel? Again, verse 16. What agreement? Again, another term, and these are all cognizant of the idea of fellowship. What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? And then he makes the point, for you are the temple of God, the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their light, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And wherefore, that is why, as a Christian, I should come out from among the unbelievers. My connection is not with them, you see. I, that's not what I share. That's not the close tie. That's not the yoke I wear with people that are not Christians. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I, when he says touch here, I mean, I think the idea is being involved in it. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I'll be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So when we look at that passage and we're thinking in terms of what we just read, one thing is for certain, you know, oxen that are yoked together are in fellowship. I mean, if you think about two oxen tied together, and I should have brought a picture of this, but if you think about them, and they're tied together by this big, heavy wooden bar that's strapped to their necks so that they must walk in step with each other. They must go the same direction. They must pull the same plow. They must submit to the same guy behind the plow with the reins. If you think about that, oxen yoked together in fellowship, man, they share everything all day long. The closest connection they have is to each other because of the yoke. But you see, that's what God is talking about with you and me. Be not unequally yoked together. What yoke are we talking about? Well, we're either talking about the yoke of Jesus. What I share with every other Christian. What I submit to with every other Christian. Are we talking about some other discipline or teaching? The focus in 2 Corinthians 6 is on teaching. Influence. Look at it. 
We're not talking, I mean, you, you can talk about marriage and the influence and so forth that a marriage partner has on you, and I get that, but it's not just a marriage partner that has that on us. I dare say the people that you are the closest to have the most influence on your life. They're the people that teach you things. They're the people that you listen to. They're the people that you share thoughts with. They're the people you bounce things off of. They're the people who are going to be saying things that cause you to make certain decisions, go certain places, do certain things. And that's what he's talking about. It's the teaching, the influence, the beliefs, the practices that are shared between two people yoked together. Now, a person says, well, wouldn't you want to choose someone to marry? That, yes, you would. But you would also want to choose people who are going to influence you to do what Jesus wants you to do, to be your friend, to be your, you know, who you run with, the person you do things with, etc., etc., because they have an effect on you. The people you are the closest to, the closest connection you have to people in this life are the ones that influence you the most. Now, you may be a person that's just one of these extremely strong personalities, and you really could be anywhere with anybody, anytime, and not be affected. I never have met one of those people. But you could be. But chances are great that if we sat down and went through a day together, the language that came out of your mouth, if you thought about it, There would be words and phrases and thoughts and ideas and so forth and so on that are coming out of your friend's mouth or the people you're closest to. That's what the Lord is talking about in 2 Corinthians 6. Because it's the beliefs and practices between those that are yoked together. And the problem is such close association, that being tied together on a daily basis, is what one learns from the other and to what one submits. If a person is saying, hey, what do you think about so-and-so? And it's not what the Lord would do. It's not what the Lord would say. And then that person begins to do that and practice that. And then that person begins to say to you, hey, think this way, do this way, do what I do. And you want to stay in close connection with that individual. Well, I think you see the problem. And that's exactly what's happening to two people who go together. What's being furnished by the other person? Remember Jesus, my yoke is easy. It's useful. It's beneficial. It's kind. It's good. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. But what the other person is furnishing, the person I'm yoked together with, the person I'm in step with, like two oxen walking in step all day long, is what they're teaching and influencing me to do. Is that suitable? Is it useful? Is it good for me? Yoke together. Members of the Lord's church share the yoke of Jesus. And that's why, and I'm going to make this point here. Because that's why when you have Christians as the people you are yoked together with, when you have those people, the two of you are sharing not just what you individually think, what you individually want to do, what you individually decide you're going to do, but you're sharing what Jesus wants. 
And you're influencing each other. Sometimes one is pulling the other one up. Sometimes it's just the other way around. And that one's pulling that one up. When you see two oxen yoked together, and if you really went out and watched this, now where I come from, it's mules. And especially when I was a boy, there were still plenty of people plowing with mules. And they would be going down a furrow in a garden and one mule would step on a rock or something and stumble a little bit. That's just like two people yoked together. And when that one mule would stumble, that yoke was, you know, it was there and it was heavy or that harness was tight or whatever. And the other mule would hold it up and pull it on. And that's exactly what happened. And that's what happens with two Christians. But you see... If I'm yoked together with someone who's not a Christian, and they're stumbling and falling, and I'm weak because of a continuous stumbling and falling, what I find most of the time is I start stumbling and falling. I can be strong for a while. I can hold that other person up. And I can think that I can be the strong one in this relationship, the influential one, etc., etc., But practically speaking, we wear out. We wear down. We get drugged out. Christians that are yoked together, members of the Lord's church, sharing the yoke of Jesus, these individuals, they pull each other up. They help each other. They help each other to stay straight and walk together in the yoke of Jesus. But you know, you see what I've got written here. We do share the yoke of Jesus just by virtue of the fact we're Christians. You took that yoke and submitted to it the day you were baptized. But whether or not people in this room are yoked together, that's still our choice, isn't it? You can walk into a congregation like this and there be 100, 150 some odd people and they are all wearing the yoke of Jesus. But they are not yoked together. That's a choice we make. Whether or not I'm close to you or you're close to me, I help you, you help me, that's a choice we all make. Whether or not I really get involved, as we will talk about next quarter, of being a person who edifies my brother and sister in my congregation, that's still a choice we're making. If I look around this room and I begin to say, hey... That person wears the yoke of Jesus, they were baptized, and that one does, and that one does, and that one does. But I'm not close to any of them. Let me tell you something. We ain't in unity here at East Arm. If we are a bunch of individuals who are not yoked together in a practical sense, we are not united. That's our choice. And that's why we want to do things to foster that unity. We want to do things, as I'll talk about tonight and a couple of lessons this month, especially on Sunday night, but just practical things. As And I appreciate the plug Edward gave for the singing next Sunday. I want you to come, because it's those kind of simple things where I sit down beside somebody, or I play whatever the, you, know, you guys play, soccer on that concrete uh, thing over there at the park, I mean, whatever you're doing. But being together with Christians... And enjoying that tie that exists between us. Let's make a couple of other points. We're going to look at personal fellowship within the local church. And I'm really going to talk about this for a few weeks from several different angles. We've acknowledged, and let's just make a couple of quick technical points here. We've acknowledged that biblical fellowship is a oneness that's approved of by God. And that's our connection. 
That's how we connect. It's not an artificial union. I mean, just saying it. You know, let's all be united. I mean, that's, that sounds wonderful. It doesn't mean anything, you know. But let's all be united. It's not some artificial union that's brought about by, by an occasion. How many times have you gone to an event and someone says, we're all here today for so-and-so? Well, that's fine. You're united for that purpose that day. But it's not lasting. You go away from there, you spread in your different directions, and there is no real unity. You certainly are not yoked together with that individual on a daily basis. And you probably know where I'm going with this. But if we're coming together on Sunday morning, we're all here today. And I, I can stand up here. Bob could have stood up here and said, we're all here today to take the Lord's Supper. Well, that's great. And we are united in that. But if after we leave this service, we all do this in different directions, and there is no close connection with anybody here, my close connection on a daily basis, every day, all day, is with people who do not share the yoke of Jesus, then where is my unity? With whom am I really united? And that's the question. Our fellowship is a tie to Jesus. It's not by occasion or bribery or just an organizational tie. I am a member of so-and-so. doesn't really mean anything. It sounds good, but it doesn't mean anything. No, it is the fact that we all belong to Jesus. And the name we wear, Christian, means something. I am in fellowship with you because I am a Christian and you are a Christian, which means we both are in fellowship with Jesus. That's what's important. It's not a byproduct of any denial of truth, certainly. It is not, hey, let's agree to not believe what Jesus said over here in this passage. Now, there are people that do that. There are rogue Christians, for example who both agree to deny certain parts of the doctrine of Christ and feel good that they are so closely connected in that. And I think we all understand that. No, rather, when we're talking about being yoked together, it's the result of fellowship with God. It grows out of the individual, both individuals, or more. Common, sincere desire, concerted effort to serve God correctly. We've looked at 1 John 1 several times. And that's what John was saying. Our fellowship is with God, and so our fellowship is with you. That's the idea. The test of fellowship. I understand, we're going to start talking about that a little bit. Am I in fellowship with you? Are you in fellowship with me? Is this church in fellowship with this church? Etc. The test of fellowship is whether a person continues in the apostles' doctrine. And that becomes the test. That's the criteria. Is the teaching, you see, that yoke, is the teaching the same? I know that this church is not in fellowship with other churches. I know that not because we just don't like them. It's the fact that they are not teaching the apostles' doctrine. Right here where we sit, there's a church this way, less than a hundred yards. There's a church that way, less than a hundred yards. And there is a church right there, about a hundred yards. And we are not in fellowship with any of them. Because the doctrine of the apostles is not taught there. And we understand that. Well, make it practical then. Okay, so I know I'm not in fellowship with the church across the street, you know, who is deified Joseph Smith, for example. I know that. But the truth is, am I in fellowship with, the, with the, the members of my own church? 
again, the test of fellowship is the same. Do we share the Apostle's doctrine? We'll get more into this idea of Second John and verses 9 and 10 and the whole idea of bidding people Godspeed and receiving people. You know, John uses a language there when he says receive people into your house. I'm going to talk about that in tonight's lesson. And it's the exact same language he used for Mary. John is going to be your son. And from that day, John took her into his house or took her unto his own. That's the fellowship we're supposed to be having. And again, it goes back to last week. We are brothers and sisters in a family. Psalm 133 in verse 1. I want you to go there with me as we close out today's lesson. And I want you to look with me at a passage that is quoted, that I've heard quoted, I guess, since I first, you know, became a Christian. And yet it is a strange passage if you look at it. Now, not the part that's quoted, but the whole psalm if you were to sing it. It's a short little song, you know, like some of the one-verse songs we have. This is a short little song. I want you to look at it with me. Psalm 133, beginning in verse 1, you'll recognize verse 1. Behold how good... And how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, you've probably heard that. Then notice how the song immediately goes, It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garment. Now, if you're like me, when I first read that, I was like, what? What does that have to do with brethren dwelling together in unity? Verse 3, end of the song. As the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. And, And you're like, okay, that's beautiful. But if I was singing that song, what does that mean? Okay, let's look at it. Psalm 133, verse 1 says, How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So you start looking at this idea. We we understand unity. We get that. I mean, we've been talking about unity, you know, being united, same thought, same actions, all that kind of thing. Tied together, yoked together. But what is this dwell together? Doesn't dwell together mean live together? It does. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. Living together is quite different from I go to church with. There are people that go to church with other people. And here's exactly the way that that they go to church. They get up on a Sunday morning, they shower, they dress, they dress up, they want to look good, they want people to notice them. They get to church, 11 o'clock Sunday morning or whatever, that's the common time, but 11 o'clock Sunday morning, and they sit in a pew together with 100 or 200 or whatever it might be, other people, and they do these acts of worship. They sing, they pray. In our case, we take the Lord's Supper. They listen to a sermon, etc., etc. They go home. Now, let me ask you a question. Do they live together with those people Or do they go to church with those people? You know the answer is they go to church. So is it good and pleasant to go to church together in unity? Not what he's saying. 
And then he's tying it together with Aaron and his beard and his garments and Zion and the Lord commanding and all. And you say, well, what has all that got to do? Well, it's got everything to do with it. Because what God is talking about is a situation in which people don't just go to church together. They wear the yoke of Jesus together. And they daily live with each other. We were taught that from the beginning, weren't we? Day of Pentecost, people obey the gospel. About 3,000 of them. And then the Bible describes what they did. And one of the things that they did in verse 46 is they got together daily. I would say, oh man, you know, different times. And I get all that. But it's one thing to say, you know what, we don't have the same kind of economy, we don't work the same kind of jobs, we don't do this and we don't do that like they did. Therefore, we don't need that daily association with other Christians. Now, is that what we're saying? I don't believe that's what God is teaching. No, what God is teaching is that you are like family. And you are supposed to be in some fashion, however that's achieved, living together, united with other Christians. Now, maybe we don't live in a situation where we're on a commune somewhere. And maybe we're not all in mass going to temple together like they were in Acts 2 at certain times of the day. But there has to be a way to be united and living together with other Christians. There has to be a way. And if that means as simple as we all buy into our high priest, not Aaron, but Jesus, and we all are in Zion, that is the Lord's church, together, and we all are submitting to the commandments of Jesus, and we all are brothers and sisters, then we need to be closely connected to other Christians and gaining from them and they're gaining from us. And we need to find ways to accomplish that. And it takes a little work and sometimes it takes exchanging some ways of life and activities of life and associations in life. Sometimes it takes that. But that's what we need to be doing. I close by saying this. When I became a Christian, and I walked into school Monday morning. I was baptized on Sunday morning. And I walked into school Monday morning. It hit me. You are probably not going to leave this day with any friend you had on Friday. And that was almost true. Because most people wanted nothing to do with me that I chose to run with. And I chose to be an idiot with. Most of them wanting nothing to do with me if I was going to be a Christian. And then I found the good people, you know, the people who really cared about me, they were. And they did. My burden is light. It is a burden. But comparatively, my yoke is easy. You hear today, I'm not a Christian. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You want to follow Him, submit to Him. You trust Him and His teachings and His ways of life that they are the best for you. Today you'll confess that He's the Son of God. Repent, which means 
Even if it takes you the rest of your life, you will change your life and you will do what the Lord wants. Maybe you'll be baptized today. You choose to do that. To have your sins washed away. To start over. Sort of a clean state. A restart, as we sometimes say. Maybe it is that you're here today and you've been listening to this lesson, listening to what the Bible says, and, and you've said to yourself, I need to change some things, but it's going to take a lot of strength. And I need the prayers of people to do that. Won't you please come? I'll be standing.